Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. We pray that Your Word would go forth to encourage Your people and edify Your people. And uh, we thank You for this community and uh, for Your love and Your faithfulness to us. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So, as has been mentioned, today is a special Shabbat, which is Shabbat Ha-what? Ha-chodesh, yes, meaning Shabbat of the month. And what month is that? Nisan, yes, the month of Pesach. Pesach. Shabbat Ha-chodesh is the Shabbat closest to the first of Nisan, Rosh Chodesh, which is the beginning of the month. The, or head of the month, literally. And between Purim and Pesach, there are several special Shabbats with special readings. You notice we didn't read from the Gospel of John. And uh, we read from Leviticus, but we also read from Exodus because we're marking the time. It's to orient us toward this appointed time, this appointed season. And so we certainly don't want to um, pass over any of them. Yeah, that, uh, I imagine that going much better in my head. <clears throat> um, so I wanted to start off with a question. What is the first commandment? And I don't mean the first commandment out of the ten. You know, there's the famous ten commandments. And I don't even mean the first commandment in the scriptures. I mean, what is the first commandment to the Israelites as a redeemed people? coming out of Egypt. Have you ever thought about that? What is the first instruction to them, which is a a precursor to the full instruction? Remember, they came out of Egypt so they could do what? Get the Torah. They could get the Torah on Mount Sinai. But there were some commandments before that that were sort of leading up to that. What do you imagine this commandment to be? Do you think it's uh, about worshiping God alone? Could be. Do you think it's about remembering the stranger since we were coming out of Egypt, so we were strangers and slaves in Egypt? Those, of course, are very important primary commandments. But most scholars would say they are not the first commandment for the new people of Israel who were once enslaved and now free. This, special, this week's special Torah portion gives us a clue found in Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2, which we read earlier. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of the year. Now I know what you're probably thinking. The first month of the year, I thought that Rosh Hashanah was the beginning of the year. Now you're telling me it's today? Well then... Happy New Year! 
Should all acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should all acquaintance be forgot and old lang syne? All right. Thank you. I'll be here all week. I work here. Uh, just as we have January 1st as a new year, um, but, you know, for, for a child that's five or six years old, that's not the new year, right? What's the new year for them? Or for a teacher? September, right? And, uh, and then we have also the fiscal year, right? That, that begins in July. Somebody who's finance savvy? July. Okay, I have a thumbs up from the wife. All right, so there's different New Year's in our calendar, right? And so there's also different New Year's in the Hebrew calendar. Rosh Hashanah, or Rosh Hashanah, is the beginning of the Jewish New Year in terms of uh, when the year changes, right? So right now it's 5779, and that began in Rosh Hashanah in the fall. But there are other New Year's as well. So according to Exodus 12, this day, today is to be a new year. And this is traditionally seen, surprisingly, as the first commandment of the redeemed people of Israel. It comes right before the instructions about the Passover lamb, right? Whose blood is put on the doorposts. And right before the instructions to eat matzah every year, because the people are about to be redeemed and taken out of the land of Egypt into Israel, and this is the first commandment, and it's about a new year and a new month, right? So our question is, why this new year? Why is this commandment first? What's so important about the first of Nisan and the beginning of the year? Maybe it's because I'm Jewish, but... uh, Let me answer that question with another question. What is your most precious commodity? The thing that is most limited, that once you spend it, you can never get it back. Not only that, but you're never actually sure how much of it you really have. That's right. I'm talking about cryptocurrency. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, I'm talking about what? Time. That's right. This is the traditional first commandment of the redeemed children of Israel because God wanted them to orient their time around him and his redemptive act. This coming out of slavery is the first day of the rest of your life. Many who cling to Yeshua know the exact date that they were redeemed from the slavery of sin and death. That was the first day of the rest of our lives, so to speak. It was a new beginning. Amen? It was another birthday. It was uh, perhaps we could even say we were born again or born from above that day. And many, in fact, do say that. Therefore, this is the time of the year when it's high time to ask yourself, self, 
How are you spending your time? Self? Are you spending your time as a redeemed person? Or are you spending your time as an enslaved person? Shouldn't a person redeemed redeem the time? We start doing this by giving God our Shabbat. It's a first fruits offering of our time, right? And then we can also give him the first fruits of the rest of our time. What about the first part of our morning? What's the first thing that we look at in the morning? Is it beep, beep, beep? Oh, I got to turn my alarm off. Ooh, I got, I got an email. Maybe it's a, a godly email. Ooh, Facebook. Well, sometimes people post encouraging things on there. Maybe I'll just check that out. Is it that, or is it the word of God? But my phone, my phone is my alarm, right? Well, you know, <clears throat> they make these old-fashioned devices. I, 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 maybe you haven't heard of it. It's actually called an alarm clock, right? For just this purpose, right? And some people are actually awakened by other things, right? By pets, or by their spouse, or a roommate, Perhaps even their own offspring will wake them up, right? So this week, actually last night, I tried this. I made the switch. I was awakened by an alarm clock. Well, mostly by my spouse because I hit the snooze. But nevertheless, my phone was not in the room. It was off, and it was in another room. And uh, I want to encourage you all, give it a try. Give it a try. You know, it's a, it's a cool thing. The truth is, if we see today the first of Nisan as a new beginning, a new year, then we can redeem the time. Are we carving out time? Are we setting boundaries on our time to spend with family and loved ones every day? Are we setting boundaries on our devices, our electronic devices, which are designed to suck us in, designed to get us to look at this screen. Are we resting on Shabbat? Shabbat is a great time to turn off your phone. You know, Um, it wasn't part of the, I think, the idea of the original commandment when God said to rest on Shabbat, but I think it certainly fits. Are we preparing now for the next season of our lives, right? And so God is saying, it's the first of Nisan. That means it's time to prepare for something. And what is that that we're preparing for? We're getting ready for Passover, right? So how do we do that? Many of us are familiar with this week's special New Covenant reading that we read uh, earlier. It's really a sort of a a midrash or a Jewish commentary by Paul on on preparing for Passover. So So to prepare for Passover, we mentioned this earlier, what do we do? We do spring cleaning, yeah. And what do we get rid of? Get rid of the chametz. Can you try that? Chametz. And chametz is the yeast in our homes. We search high and low for crumbs. 
Crumbs hiding in our cupboards. Crumbs hiding behind furniture. Crumbs hiding in our beards. That doesn't apply to everyone, but my wife can actually tell you the last one is especially relevant for me. And I try, I usually try to explain, well, I'm, I'm keeping it there in case I get hungry later, but she's, she's never convinced, especially before Passover. She's like, David, you know, we're, we got to do, get rid of the crumbs. Okay. So anyways, where was I? I got a little lost there. So there's a passage in first Corinthians Five verses six through eight we read earlier, and uh, this is what it says again. Your boasting is no good. Don't you know that a little chametz, a little yeast, leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old chametz so you may be a new batch, just as you are unleavened, for Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old chametz, the yeast, the chametz of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread, the matzah of sincerity and truth. Isn't that a nice little God-breathed midrash on, on the Passover? I just always, I always find something really cool in there every time I read it. In other words, the spring cleaning of the crumbs of yeast is not just a physical thing. It's symbolic of the spring cleaning of our souls, right? The way that we redeem the time in this season is by repenting, repenting of the hidden crumbs of sin that we try to sweep under the furniture, maybe try to hide in our beards, but we know we're not fooling anybody. You see, the yeast of the second temple period and the the yeast of the the, the Exodus times, it was not like the yeast of today. It wasn't like in a little separate container, right? What was it? Well, the way of making bread in that time is similar to how we actually make sourdough bread today. And uh, I'd like to read you a little story. This is from uh, an article from the Jewish Journal, uh, April 6th, 2017. So it's not from the future. Um <laughs> Um, but it is by Rob Eshman, um, and he was uh, getting ready for Passover, and this is what he wrote. Quote, Two weeks ago, when the rains finally stopped and the sun appeared in a brilliant blue sky, I took my sourdough starter outside for some fresh air. I sat on the bench in the garden and read a book, and my starter sat beside me. After a while, my wife came out. What are you doing? Uh, reading. No, no, I mean, what's that? It's my sourdough starter. She was kind enough not to say, you're so weird, but I'm pretty certain she was thinking it. Each week when I make bread, I use the starter. I created it nine months ago, mixing a few tablespoons of freshly grown local wheat and water in a large mason jar and setting it aside, uncovered on my kitchen counter. The next day, I added a little more flour and water. After about a week of these incremental additions, the slurry bubbled and frothed. Wild yeasts, ever present in our air, had landed in the starter and multiplied. Tiny bubbles appeared where the gases formed by the yeasts tried to escape. When I lowered my nose to the jar, it smelled like a tank room of a winery, a really good winery. From that day on, to make bread, 
I only had to combine a portion of the starter with some flour, salt, and water, stir it into a lump. That's the lump that, that Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians. And set it, let it set overnight. The next day, bake it into a beautiful loaf. I do about 10 minutes of work total. Those wild yeasts do all the rest. To replenish my starter, I add more fresh flour and water. Then I set it out again until the yeasts gather and activate. Sandor Katz, the modern-day guru of fermentation, once wrote that he likes to take his sourdough starter outdoors so it can collect the various local yeasts that may or may not make it as far as his kitchen counter. The Los Angeles forager Pascal Baudar said that he often takes his sourdough along with him when he goes for a walk in the woods. I figured I would do no less for mine. You know, you can be friends with your starter, I guess. I don't know what he's saying. Um, I started making sourdough bread in college. My first job as a junior was turning out 10 loaves each day for a local bakery. It has a pure taste, simple ingredients, and the probiotic fermentation makes the bread more digestible and better for you. Most other bread tastes cottony and dry to me. But our ancestors ate sourdough bread because they didn't have a choice. This is how bread was made. If you want to know why the Israelites couldn't wait for their bread to rise, it's because natural leavening takes a long time to do its work. Until two Hungarian Jewish immigrant brothers named Charles and Maximilian Fleischmann, Fleischmann, yeah, came up with a commercially produced yeast in 1868, all bread was based on starter cultures like mine. First time I read this, I was like, oh yeah, Fleischmann, like Fleischmann's yeast. I get it. A little light bulb came on. Um, to keep a starter culture alive and healthy, you must feed it daily. Keep it at a comfortable temperature, protect it from contamination, and occasionally nurse it back to bubbly life. What I'm telling you is that, yes, I have an I-thou relationship with my blob of sourdough starter. I'm sensitive to its needs. I feed it, and it nourishes us. And now comes Passover, when we are commanded to forego any leavened thing. In our kosher home, that means all yeast products, all flour, anything with leavening must go. I would ask my wife, the rabbi, if that means the starter too, except that I already know the answer. Aww. After nurturing my baby for nine months, I figure I have to use it all at once or toss it. As we say in Venice, this bums me out. I asked that age-old question of an inscrutable God, why? Until you actually make bread like your Israelite ancestors did, it's hard to understand what lesson there is in prohibiting leavening. Israelite slaves escaping Pharaoh's army didn't have time for their bread to rise. The Passover liturgy tells us, and I would add that the scripture also tells us, uh, remember, you were once slaves, so don't eat bread or anything remotely like it. That's the reason the rabbis always give us. It's right there in the story. I turned for answers to my sourdough expert, or rabbi, Sandor Katz. He says, I vaguely understood it to be a metaphor for remembering a time in exile and in transit without a place or time to let the dough rise, which of course would also imply no place or time to let the grape juice ferment, or grow grapes for that matter, he emailed me back. But I wanted more. I assume there must be some reason for the reason. 
Why, of all the things that the Jews must give up for eight days, God picks yeast. After all, did the Israelites have time to bring their oxen or wine barrels? Why not meat or sugar or, or other things that other religions commonly prescribe? We would nod our heads. Oh, that makes sense. But, but why yeast? I've never come across a religion that places prohibition on leavening. If I was going to have to say goodbye to my beautiful uh, nine-month bouncing baby starter, I needed to see the deeper meaning behind it. And precisely because of that starter, I do. Until you actually make, make bread like your Israelite ancestors did, it's hard to understand what lesson there is in prohibiting leavening. But starting at my starter, I've come up with three. First, sourdough culture is a very human enterprise. Humans manipulate nature to make bread. It takes culture to culture. But for the eight days of Passover, we step away from what humans create, and we sit down to what God created. Eggs, meat, the first greens. We eat what's fresh and new and pure. Even more reason those processed Passover foods are heretical to this holiday. The earth that was dead in winter has come alive in spring, and we had nothing to do with that. Enjoy it. Marvel in it. Understand it. Second, baking takes time. Sure, the Israelites could have scooped their starters into their goatskin purses as they fled, but no matter where they went, they would have had to camp at least a day to let their bread rise. Passover teaches us to live lightly, be ready to move on quickly, live for today in the presence of what you have, leave tomorrow behind. Finally, in order to thrive, a sourdough culture needs continuity with the past. Yesterday's starter becomes tomorrow's, which becomes next month's. Passover breaks that chain. You toss it all out, and you start fresh. These are lessons no less profound than remembering our redemption, but harder for our modern minds to understand, at least without a sourdough starter around. As for mine, I figured out a solution. Our neighbors will babysit the, the batter during the holiday. I'll leave them instructions. Feed and water daily. Keep warm. Walks optional. Happy Passover, unquote. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, Rabbi Yeshua equates yeast or leavening with hypocrisy. In Matthew 16, 11 through 12, he says this. Now beware of the chametz, or yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood he wasn't talking about the chametz in the bread, but about the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Their teaching was not of sincerity and truth, which is like unleavened matzah of sincerity and truth. It was puffed up and proud and judgmental like Sourdough. That's why sourdough is so sour, I think, right? It's embittered by hypocrisy and pride and judging others. These are the crumbs. These are the crumbs that we sweep behind the furniture or we hide in our beards, hoping no one will notice. But you know who sees all the crumbs? Not my wife. Not even Mordecai private eye, but the Lord. 
sees all the crumbs, all the hidden sins. So, what should we do? Since we are no longer enslaved, but redeemed, let us redeem the time. Let us honor God with the first of our time and with the time we spend with him on Shabbat. Let us do some spring cleaning prayers and ask God to show us those crumbs we've been trying to be hypocritical about and trying to sweep away so that we can be renewed in this season, this new year, and so we can be ready for Passover. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Abba, uh, we thank you for your goodness and for bringing us to this appointed time, the first of Nisan, that we can um, celebrate a new year and uh, where we can do some spring cleaning and allow you to show us those things in our, uh, in our own souls that are not pleasing to you, that we've tried to hide and sweep away. Now we're saying we want you to find them so we can be closer to you, Lord. Um, we don't want to hide our sins. We want to confess our sins that, um, because when we do so, you are faithful and, and, and for righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because you are not an angry father. You are a forgiving father, and uh, you have brought us the fullness of forgiveness and redemption and cleansing and holiness and wholeness through Yeshua the Messiah, the Passover lamb, and in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.